Gilroy, California, El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio. Three mass shootings, 34 lives taken, dozens injured, all in the course of a single week. In response, President Donald Trump is scheduled to visit both Dayton and El Paso today. Rick Rojas is in El Paso, Texas. He is the new national correspondent for the South at the New York Times and joins us on the line. Rick, thanks so much for sticking around to speak with us. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. So the shooting in El Paso took place last Saturday. When did you make your way there? So I I flew out on on Saturday night and did a bit of a trip uh, getting here from New York, but I got here first thing Sunday morning and started reporting that. And we've been hearing a lot about how the community has responded in the aftermath. What are you seeing there? Uh, I'm seeing a lot of anger and anguish, but also a lot of cohesion. You know, El Paso takes a lot of pride in in itself and its community and in its its bi binational culture. And so this has been a, a, a very forceful display of that, not just because of what happened, but also because of all of the rhetoric that has surrounded it and the things that President Trump has said about the city in the past that has really uh, pushed them to, to be very uh, forceful in, 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 in displaying their pride in their city and, and just their pride in their culture here. Well, President Donald Trump plans to visit Dayton and El Paso today. Some residents and officials in Dayton have said he isn't welcome. Similar responses in El Paso? Oh, certainly, yes, yes. Because there's, I mean, there is friction here that goes back months. You know, he referred, the president referred to El Paso as one of the most dangerous cities in the nation during his State of the Union address, and then he came here for a rally. Uh, a political rally, and a lot of people think that he has used their city as a political prop, and they're just, and, and they really have taken issue with his description of the city as a dangerous place, and so they think that it kind of adds insult to injury for him to come here now that they're grieving and they've, they've asked, and this is mostly a lot of regular people, they've asked him to stop, whereas the mayor here has taken a very kind of tepid approach where saying essentially, well, he's he's the president, he can come, I will greet him as the president, but I didn't invite him here. That's El Paso Mayor DeMargo, who is a Republican, by the way. So yes. he will be there as consoler-in-chief, which is increasingly becoming part of the presidential job. Will he likely take questions from the press while he's there? I don't know. I, I If so, it'll likely be from the usual White House correspondents who cover him and not I don't, I don't know whether local reporters will be involved mm-hmm. in that. Well, he has made statements addressing a variety of things in response to the shootings, white supremacy, mental illness, video games, Internet bigotry. His early tweet calling for background checks was not mentioned again when he spoke about this officially yesterday from the White House. How hate has no place here. Uh, that message. How is that reverberating this community grieving death from gun violence? I think there's a sense that they don't take him at his word because they view his rhetoric as playing a part in this, that they've noted, noted the similarities between the language uh, the suspected gunman used in his manifesto and the language that the president has used in describing uh, immigrants. And there's, there's a, there's, quite a bit of animosity. They're just, they're not ready to take his words at face value just yet. Yeah, let's get it to the investigation there. We do know that the gunman traveled to El Paso from Allen, Texas, where he lived. 
He posted a screed on 8chan about 20 minutes before the attack uh, at the Walmart where many shoppers were doing their back-to-school shopping. What else are we learning about the suspect or the situation? Well, we learned that he... He took an eight, it took him more than 10 hours to drive here from Allen. And he went, he got lost in the neighborhood near the Walmart before, just as he got into town and then went to the Walmart. Uh, police have been able to kind of piece together a timeline using information that he has given them. Apparently, uh, the chief of police here said, uh, in a recent press conference that the, the, the suspect has been uh, incredibly forthcoming, that he has basically everything they know about how the attack was carried out was in, has, has in large part come from him. Mm. Uh, but they have said that he has not shown any remorse for this, uh, that that's something that the chief has specifically asked about and that he has shown no sign of that. Um and if anything, he seemed to be in a, I think the chief's words were a state of like shock and confusion uh, since the shooting. Rick Rojas is with us. He's the new Southern correspondent for The New York Times. He's on the line with from El Paso, Texas, where he's providing continuing coverage of, in the aftermath of last weekend's mass shooting. Well, the gunman in the other two shootings are both dead. An autopsy revealed that the Gilroy gunman shot himself. The Dayton gunman was shot by police. Do we know how the El Paso gunman was arrested? I believe he was picked up um, near the near the site. They just pulled him over and, and brought him in. I don't think it was my understanding is it wasn't that confrontational of a of a showdown. Well, we're looking at, you know, these shootings throughout this last week and, of course, further back than that. But there's things that distinguish this. The Gilroy Garlic Festival shooting is being investigated as an act of domestic terrorism. U.S. Attorney John Bash said that they will pursue a criminal civil rights hate crime and domestic terrorism investigation in the El Paso case. Now, we should note that there is no domestic terrorism charge in the federal code currently. So what is the difference in these cases that make domestic terrorism apply? I think it was because of the 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 motivation for the attack. There was a very clear, you know, if you read this manifesto, there was a clear rationale for why uh, the perpetrator acted the way that he did. And it was done, you know, it, it was done as an act of to, to, to go after a specific group of people. He targeted in this attack, and now not all of the victims were Mexican or Mexican-Americans, but in large part they were, and it's because the police said that he methodically searched them out in the store to to shoot them. And so I think that kind of, that the that sort of bias involved in the crime sort of adds another layer to it that the authorities say makes it uh, domestic terrorism. In Dayton, Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine proposed adopting a version of the red flag law, allowing authorities to take firearms from a person deemed by a court to be dangerous. And for more background checks as well, any proposed le- legislation being discussed there in Texas so far? I mean, nothing in any sort of concrete way. I think that uh, the governor and uh, other top state officials are supposed to meet with lawmakers from El Paso today. And I imagine that'll certainly be something on the table that they'll be bringing up. 
but uh, there has been nothing that's really emerged in, a, in, a, in the same type of way that has happened in uh, Ohio. So, Rick, you've covered disasters and mass shootings before for the L.A. Times. You've been with The New York Times since 2014, but you just recently became the national correspondent for the South. What is it like going through your head with this? This is one of your first assignments in your new role. It's it, it's a reminder of what this job will entail a lot of, unfortunately. This is something, this is a, for a national publication and for a national correspondent. Covering stories like these are a fact of life in a way. And it's um, learning how to cover tragedies like this in a way where you don't let it affect you too personally, but you also don't become jaded and you don't lose that sense of humanity to really understand the gravity of what happened. And so in that way, it's been uh, instructive. And um, yeah, I mean, I've covered as part as a reporter, you cover a lot of bad things. You cover a lot of violence. But the thing that, that always kind of motivates me in stories like this is that you see this sort of equal opposite reaction. So the the when you see this much level of this much hate or evil, you also see in equal measure the good that people are capable of. And that's what I've seen in El Paso this week, this week and that's what's really, I've, I've really, you know, it's, I'm heartened by that. So that's kind of what, what makes doing these stories uh, palatable or, or okay, because you do get to see the goodness too. Rick Rojas, he is the New York Times new national correspondent for the South. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Rick is joining us from El Paso, Texas there, where he's reporting in the aftermath of last week's shooting, and we'll be covering President Trump's scheduled visit there today. We always like to hear from you. Let us know what you're thinking on our Facebook account. We are at GPB Radio on Second Thoughts on Facebook. We're on Twitter at OST Talk. We hear a lot of talk about changing things after attacks like this, but it seems like nothing changes. What do you think is the best action? Coming up, a conversation with Atlanta native and author Susan Rebecca White.